0: Over the name of your church, by the way, uh, Christ Community Church, Christ Church, right? It is his church after all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, I just want to say thank you very quickly to Pastor David. Um, I've been praying for him this week, trusting that the Lord's going to refresh him in his vacation and he gets much needed rest and he can come and, and uh, serve you and serve uh, the God of all creation uh, until his next opportunity to take a, a rest. Ministry's hard work, y'all, especially when you're loving people in the trenches, and uh, let's be continually lifting him up. It's really important, and the elders as well, and all those in the community. Very, very important. Um, Thank you to the elders for giving me the opportunity to uh, open up God's Word with you this morning. It truly is a privilege and a joy to be asked to do that. There's a lot of weight when we stand up here and uh, ask God to fall. Through the preaching of His Word, and I trust that He will certainly do that. And thank you very much for showing up. A lot of, a lot of churches don't, you know, when the when the pastor goes away, uh, only half the congregation shows up. So thank you so much. It's a blessing to me to see the beautiful faces out there, and uh, a great joy, a great joy to be here, of course. And um, after this, the service this morning, come up and say hi. Okay, I'd love to get to get to know you. Uh, hear about what God's doing in your life, right? I want to be an encouragement to everybody who is trying to walk with Jesus like I am. Uh, It's really important that we continue to encourage one another and edify one another, right? Um, Following Jesus, although a great joy, uh, sometimes it's not very easy to do. I think we would all agree with that, amen? Amen, it is, it is. Um, Words cannot really express it, right? But the reality is that sometimes he does, in fact, lead us to uncomfortable experiences where we have to make very difficult decisions. Now some of those decisions are really easy, and the reward is really sweet. Yet others are much more difficult and will have some significant impact on your life as well as the lives of those you love around you. Right? We want to grow closer with the people we're in fellowship with, but the reality is this. Sometimes walking with Jesus, sometimes being obedient to the Lord, actually pushes us further away from those that we love. I was literally just talking to a friend of mine about three weeks ago, and she was telling me how she's having a really difficult time sharing Jesus with her sister. She's tried to do it in the past, right? Um, But every time, it's caused a lot of conflict between her, her sister, and her sister's children, her, her nieces and nephews. And um, so much so that often, when that happens, they don't speak for a very, very long time. Uh, And now the conversation of Jesus seems to be off the table. Um, And my friend doesn't want to lose a very important relationship, right? I think we've all been there and done that to some degree. But this time, it's a little bit different. She recently went to the doctor with her sister, and she found out that her sister, in fact, has cancer. So it seems like it's an easy decision, right? Like God is kind of teeing it up there, you know, swing and proclaim the gospel. Um, However, because she loves her sister and she doesn't want to be separated from her sister in what could be the last few months of her life, she's a little confused. She's struggling with what she should do, right? Um, She doesn't want to be separated. um, But on the other hand, she knows how Jesus and a relationship with him could change her entire life, even in these last few moments. Like I said, it's not that easy, and that's certainly a very difficult situation to be in, right? Comforting presence in this life by her sister or rescued and redeemed for eternal life. It seems pretty simple, but again, I'm not sure that it really is. So it made me wonder As I was thinking about this passage this week, what do you think she should do? While you're thinking about that, let's open our Bibles to Colossians, okay? Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is an extraordinary book. Uh, Certainly, I think one of most Christians' favorite books. We all love Romans and Philippians and the joy that we find and the conviction. um, But Colossians is glorious and if there is one thing that you could learn from Colossians, just one thing that you take away from anything that I say today, I hope it's the life-changing truth that Jesus is supreme over all things and is worthy of our worship. Amen? Yeah, yeah amen. This morning, we're going to just look at a couple of verses, verses 21 through 23. Um, it's just a few verses so uh, our time won't be too long. Wink, wink. Um Uh, But if you're able, if you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. The Bible says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Pray with me, please. Oh, Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning. Lord, to worship you, the only one worthy, Jesus. Oh, Father, you've heard our prayer and our praise this morning. And I pray, God, that it was, in fact, a sweet sound to you. But now, Father, as we open your word, Lord God, we need to hear from you. Father, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So please, Father, lead us and teach us this morning through your word. It is precious. It is the precious oil that protects us from the schemes of the devil and the trappings of this world. So I pray that you come now and fall freshly on us and open our eyes to the truth, Lord, your truth. And now, God, we surrender this time to you and ask that the spirit of the living God would teach us this morning, I pray, in the strong name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. The context of this passage in Colossians is really formed from verses 15 through 20. Right? I consider to be this I consider this particular section, 15 through 20, to be the most important section in, in Colossians. And certainly uh, one of the strongest highlights in the Bible, the supremacy of Christ and his authority over all creation and everything in it, because He is God and in control of all things. right? The air that you breathe the food that you eat, the place you live, politicians, the police and the death you will have. He is the king of all kings and worthy of our worship, Jesus. His name is above all names. He has done and is doing miraculous work in the lives of so many people. And this truth about Jesus is not just important to the Colossians. But it's also important for us, right? We need to know with clarity that Christ is, in fact, supreme. And Paul builds his argument for that through this letter. And he wants the Colossians, he wants me to know, he wants my friend to know. And he wants Christ's community church to remember. You were far off. Then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. So keep walking with him, proclaiming the gospel. So let's walk through these few verses this morning and see how that kind of works itself out, okay? Starting right there in verse 21, the Bible says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I think Paul is being really intentional here and and wanting us to kind of sit up in our chairs and lean into what he's saying. That phrase, and you is Paul's way of addressing everyone at the same time, but also us as individuals specifically. Right? We're in it together, but it applies to everyone individually. So why is it so important for Paul to get our attention? Well, Paul wants us to remember you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The truth is, thinking about our life before Christ is something that Christians don't do very often. We don't spend a lot of time reflecting on the past. And Paul himself says in Philippians chapter 3 that he no longer considers the past. He has put that behind him and stays focused on his new life in Christ. But reflecting on what Jesus has done and his testimony in your life is a great help when he asks you to be a witness for him to others. You were once alienated and hostile in mind. That word alienated can also be translated as separated or even estranged. Essentially, what that means is the relationship between you and God was broken. A simple way we can understand this broken relationship is like this. At least in my family, it's like this. My family gathers around the dinner table, right, almost every night. We're very, very fortunate that we can experience that kind of family unity in a culture that seems to, you know, tether their, their, their family relationships at arm's length. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And uh, it's a wonderful time, but occasionally, as you can imagine, with three young kids and a uh, sometimes disobedient husband, uh, things can get a little challenging around the dinner table. Um, for instance, sometimes we make our youngest son. He's now six, by the way. Sam, he is... He is um, delightful, you kind of want to chew on him a little bit, he's so sweet. Um, uh, at dinner, we, we ask him to eat when he doesn't want to eat, right? And he gets mad, not surprising, right? And he grabs his food, and he slides down the end of the bench uh, to the other side of the table, away from everybody in the family. And what Sam is actually doing is that he's separating himself from us, right? He has actually um, alienated himself from his family from those who love him. It's the same thing that parents do, right? When they disagree with one another. Mom goes upstairs and dad goes out to the garage, right? Um, Separating themselves from one another. Now, parents and children often find their way back to one another because they love one another. But Paul, Paul wants you to remember you were once separated from God because you didn't love God. You were hostile in mind. Actually, the King James says, you were an enemy of God. That's what hostile in mind means. Like when kids and parents disagree, in some sense, they actually become enemies because they stand in opposition to one another. Way before our actions reveal our opposition to one another, we need to remember that we were in conflict with God because of our position with God. When my friend tried to share Jesus with her sister in the past, that caused a separation or an alienation from her sister and her sister's family. She was estranged from them. And their relationship was broken because they stood in opposition to one another. We need to remember that every, every one of us at one point has stood in opposition to God. God. As you read verse 21, now you might think it's the sin we've committed that has separated us from God. But it's not just the sin that separates us, because it certainly does. It's not just that, that alienates us from Jesus. It's because we're sinners. That's why we're far off from God. We need to remember that before we were friends with Jesus, we were in fact His enemies. And enemies of God, as broken humans, we stand in opposition of God at the very core of who we are. Before you could ever sin, church, you were sinners at heart. And the sin that causes our son to separate himself at the dinner table starts long before the action of sliding down the bench. We need to remember that all of us were separated and far off from God before we ever sinned against God. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were opposed to God in the garden. Their sin and separation was just handed down to us. And it reminds me of a, of a really interesting TV show. I don't know if you've all seen it. I, I, saw, I think I saw it on Netflix when I did Netflix. A TV show called The Hatfields and McCoys. Essentially, what you have is two families that were friends, but they became enemies because one man stood in opposition to another. And as a result, the war between them ensued and that opposition was passed down from generation to generation. What started with one man opposing the other ended with every man, woman, and child opposing each other. Their life was consumed by their opposition to one another and not one of them could fix the relationship between their families. Nor did any of them even desire to do it. They hated one another. They were alienated and hostile in mind. They were enemies of one another because they couldn't be anything else. Eventually, eventually, being an enemy is going to manifest itself into actions. It's going to look like something, right? And when you're separated from God, it doesn't always look like the Hatfields and McCoys. Not everybody's trying to kill one another. Everyone doesn't express their opposition to God like Hitler did right? And the doing evil deeds here in verse 21 sounds really dramatic, and it actually is very dramatic, but it's not always magnified in the same way history represents evil. And chapter 3 gives us a little bit of insight um, as to what Paul believes or what he's trying to express in terms of evil deeds, things like impurity. This is a big deal in our culture, church, impurity, right? sex outside of marriage, pornography. This is really difficult stuff, but that makes you an enemy alienated far off from God. Anger, anger, lying, loving other people's stuff. Do we not see that everywhere? Even joking, church, even joking can be an offense to God. And most importantly, Talking about someone behind their back is evil in God's eyes. Right? We don't have to commit heinous crimes to display our opposition to God. Just spend a little time thinking about what you were makes knowing what you are so much sweeter. My friend knows her sister is far off. But she's forgotten that she was once far off as well if you're ever gonna have the compassion for the loss that Jesus wants you to have, if you're ever going to be willing to risk it all, you have to remember you were far off. And And then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. Verse 22 says, he, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before Him. Where verse 21 teaches us to remember we were once far off from God, verse 22 teaches us how we have been brought near because of Jesus. And I love this word reconciled. And it's one of the best ways to describe what Jesus has actually done for you. Reconciled is repositioning. You were far off, And now you've been brought near. When my my son slides to the end of the table in opposition to me, I just reach out and I grab him and bring him near to me. Although you were far away from God, Jesus has reached out and pulled you close to him, repositioning you. You didn't do that. Only Jesus can do that. He drew near to you before you could ever draw near to him. Being reconciled means where your relationship with God was once broken, it's now been repaired by Jesus. And when you're reconciled in Jesus, you're no longer a foe, but a friend, amen? Ephesians says, this kind of reconciliation is a complete gift of God. It says this in chapter 2, starting in verse 8. You're probably all very familiar with the verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And if you study all the original words in that passage and look at how it's all put together, you will learn that your salvation... Even your faith, all of it, is a gift from God. What a glorious God we serve. The only thing that you've done, church, Scott, relating to your salvation is 100% of the sinning. And Jesus has done 100% of the saving. Amen? Praise be to God. Church, if that doesn't make you worship Jesus, nothing will. But the truth is, is that it's not magic. God did something to make that possible. You didn't just think yourself saved, right? You didn't just believe in nothing because we know the Bible says no one seeks after God. No, not one is what the Bible says. But he has now reconciled you. Not just anyone, right? But Jesus has reconciled you. I mean, how has that happened? And I guess we could have a very complex theological conversation this morning, but I don't want to bore you with a lot of those details. But quite simply, it's the gospel. Right? The Father sent the Son from heaven. He lived a life in the flesh completely sinless, although tempted in every way like we are. This man, this body this flesh, this Jesus willingly went to the cross and shed his blood and died, providing the only sacrifice for us sinners that would please God. His blood for yours. He was resurrected, defeating death. The Bible says there is a price to pay for sin and separation from God and Jesus. He paid it all. He died, so you don't have to. If you want to know how Jesus reconciled you, you have to know and believe in the gospel of God. Simple question Are you reconciled to God today? Are you covered? Are you covered by the blood of Jesus? Have you accepted that you are, in fact, a sinner far off from God and in need of a Savior? Well, the good news is today is the day for you to turn to him and confess him as Savior, asking him to forgive your sin and call on his name alone for your personal salvation. Today is the day you can stop doing and trust the work that Jesus has already done for you. Today you can be brought near to God. You can be repositioned. When you believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are made right with God immediately. <clears throat> you can't make that happen, although I think likely some of you probably still are. Jesus is supreme over all things, church. He is the Lord over salvation just as much as He is the Lord over creation. He came to you because you would never come to Him. He has done all the work so you don't have to And if you want to know how much God loves the world, just remember you were far off. And then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. The second half of verse 22 says this, in order to present you, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Remember, Jesus is the free gift we receive from the Father and we become the gift Jesus paid it all for that he gives back to the Father, right? When the bride, those who believe in Jesus, stand before God, the Father will see our sin no more. All he will see is the righteous blood of Christ and our union with him, covering our shame, causing him to embrace us as his own. This is not a new idea. It's all over the Old Testament and finds its roots in the Old Covenant, if you recall, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to provide the sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people for the year. Right? He pulls back the curtain, stands before the Ark of the Covenant, right? and in that Ark is uh, the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff, and the stone tablets Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. And on top of the ark is the mercy seat, and the cherubim kind of facing one another with their heads bowed and their wings covering themselves. The priest then kneels in front of the ark to confess the sins of the people. And as the high priest exposes this sin, the cherubim are looking down as a witness to the sin, but they're hiding it from heaven with their wings. And the high priest brings the blood of the sacrifice and pours it over the mercy seat, covering the ark and the sins of all men. So when God descends on the temple, what he sees is the blood of the sacrifice completely covering the sins of the people. And my dear friends, that's exactly, that's exactly what God will see when we who are in Christ stand before him. He will no longer see our sin because those who have believed on Jesus are covered by the blood he shed on Calvary. Amen? Amen. But it's better than that. The guilt of our sin is not just covered. It's been carried away by Jesus and his righteousness becomes ours. So when we're presented to God, he sees us just like he sees his perfect son holy blameless and above reproach the difference between the old testament sacrifice and the sacrifice of jesus is that once a year you were washed clean under the old covenant the law of moses but in christ but in christ you are clean before god every moment of every day forever All your sins carried away, past, present, future. Is it not just remarkable that a holy God would give such an undeserving gift and show such amazing grace to those who oppose him, his enemies? So we need to remember, please remember that you were far off. Then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. So keep walking with him, and proclaim the gospel. Verse twenty three. If you indeed, if you, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. At first glance, this verse seems to suggest that you have to do something to keep your salvation. But I believe Paul is saying, listen, because of what you know about who you were and what Christ has done for you, I am completely confident that you will finish the race. I know with certainty, indeed, is what Paul says. Friends, we need to continue to walk with confidence that Jesus paid it all. So we don't have to. We need to learn from this verse is that once Jesus takes us from death to life, once we start walking with a clean slate, we continue in the confidence that Jesus has done all the work. Work that we could never do. So we shouldn't go back to thinking we have to. If your belief in Jesus is true and your conversion to Christ is genuine, Your life will no longer be built on the weakness of your works, but on the strength of the work of Jesus. We just sung about it this morning. He teaches us about this very thing in Matthew chapter 7, right? Everyone, starting in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus is saying, if you try to build your life on your own righteousness, on the shoulders of your own good works, there will come a time When all that you have built, all that you trust in will come crashing down. But if you build your life on him, the rock, and trust what he has done, your future is secure, immovable, unbreakable, and everlasting. So keep walking with him, trusting his truth, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Listen. There are a lot of ideas floating around in the world that cause many people to think wrong things and put their hope in some profound truth professed by someone with a PhD. That's a lot of Ps. But remember, your new life is built on the rock that is Jesus. All you have to do is look around and see the evidence of this truth in your life, in the lives of others. His good work is everywhere. No matter what the world tells you, he's the truth that never changes. I mean, I like thinking about all kinds of things. There are some really interesting ideas floating around out there, and quite often there's some value in exploring that thinking. But Paul, who is as well-schooled as anyone, knows where our focus needs to be and where our hope needs to stay. So remember, friends, so remember, we're going to repeat it a few more times, you were far off. Then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. So keep walking with him, proclaiming the gospel. The last half of verse 23 says, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And there is much to say about the Apostle Paul's life, and I don't want to turn this message into a sermon about Paul. But I think most of you who have been studying the Bible for a long time um, probably would agree that Paul is the greatest witness of Christian faithfulness the world has ever seen, right? I mean, Paul studied with the most highly regarded teachers in the greatest schools of his day. And I'm certain that he explored more ideas and understood more about the world's truth than I will ever understand. But in spite of all that learning, In all of that knowledge, Paul's sole focus is Jesus. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, right? Saying, I didn't try to spin tales or tell stories to show how strong my intellect was. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If anyone could compete with intellectuals, philosophers, and scientists, it was the Apostle Paul, but his focus was on his calling to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry for Jesus is a very unique and special one that no longer exists today. And I want to be really careful as I exhort you to dedicate your life to proclaiming the gospel Although you can be like Paul in his proclamation of Jesus, you can't be Paul, right? He was an apostle of Jesus, and God worked through Paul in extraordinary ways. But that time of the apostles has passed. So what you need to know is when Jesus set you apart for God, that's exactly what he did. He set you apart for God. He wants you, like he wanted Paul, to proclaim the gospel And as a new creation in Christ, Paul knew what he needed to do, and so do you. You may not be very good at sharing Jesus with people just yet. That's okay. It took time for Paul to get that right as well, right? Uh, 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 The last part of that verse says Paul became a minister. And there's a lot of talk, actually, about what those three words mean. I believe it has a couple of dimensions. And because you're kind of a captive audience, I'm going to share those with you. Um, First, his ministry was a special one that comes from Jesus alone. He couldn't manufacture that ministry, right? Paul the apostle was called and prepared for ministry by Jesus personally. But in the other sense, it also means that Paul had to learn before God used him to minister the gospel in the way the Lord wanted him to do that. He became a minister, When a man is called to be a minister of the gospel and a leader in the church, that's a high calling and it's one that deserves special attention and special preparation. Praise God that your pastor has that very thing. But like Paul, we can learn more and become more effective at communicating what God is calling all Christians to do. The responsibility we are given the command to proclaim the gospel does not require years of preparation. If we know what we were and what Jesus has done for us, we have the understanding to proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior. So remember, the God of all creation is the God of salvation, and this God wants you to be in the ministry of proclamation. Not just your pastor Or your elders, although they should most certainly be doing that as an example for you. But church, you've been commanded to proclaim Jesus by the God of all glory. When you do, right, when you share Jesus, God will in fact bless that. Trust him like Paul did and live to tell others about the amazing work Jesus has done for you. And remember, you were far off. Then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. So keep walking with him. Proclaim the gospel. As I begin to kind of close this down, in light of what you, I asked you a question before we started. So in light of what you maybe have learned this morning, what do you think my friend should do about her sister? Should she Share Jesus and risk her relationship with her sibling and possibly the last days of her life? Or should she be obedient to Christ and do what He has called her to do? What would you do? Are you willing to risk it all and proclaim the gospel? Jesus gave it all so we could tell all. It's not magic knowing what you know about yourself and your God and your calling, what would you do? Please think on that. And remember, you were far off. And then Jesus saved you, making you righteous before God. So keep walking with him. and Proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are so unworthy of your grace, Lord. But you showed your love for us and that while we were still sinners and separated from you, Christ died for us. By his blood, Lord, we have been reconciled and made right with you and we don't deserve it, Lord. And we could never earn it, Lord, but you paid for it all, Lord. And you offer it freely to all who call on your name. Father, help us to remember your good work in us. Help us to remember why you are so worthy. Help us to be obediently. Help us to obediently share the the hope that is found only in your name, in the name of Jesus, Father, I pray. I pray for my friend, and I pray for Christ's community church, Lord, that when the time comes and we are prompted to proclaim the glory of Jesus, that you will give us the boldness to proclaim that truth. As we should. Father, living without Jesus in this life is bad enough, but dying without him is unimaginable, Father. Please, God, use us and bless us as we watch you perform the miracle of new life in those around us. I pray this in the powerful, everlasting, secure, strong name above all names. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.